I was leading a small short-term mission team into the remote uh, jungle highlands of Papua, Indonesia. As you saw maybe a little bit in that video clip, we're headed to a village called Tomasiga that sits on a small flat plain on the side of a very steep Papuan mountain. Okay, kind of like asking Suncor or Syncrude to help with a, a project here in Northern Alberta, we were working with a large multinational company called Freeport, helping the people of this village build an airstrip to help them gain better access to medical and other supplies. We were also providing much needed medical care while at the same time sharing the message of Jesus, uh, how we can powerfully transform our lives. I've been to the village of Tomasiga maybe uh, six times now and have developed some really strong relationships there. But when the doors of our helicopter opened on this particular trip, we were taken aback by the greeting we received. We were instantly confronted by Papuan warriors with machetes and primitive bows and arrows, followed by some yelling and screaming, and, and then the bags of one of our uh, native Papuan pastors who was traveling with us was grabbed, torn open, and then thrown over the side of the mountain. Yeah, welcome to Tomasiga. Our arrival was being met by hostility, threats of violence, and even actual violence. We signaled the second helicopter that we were traveling with to hold off landing as we tried to determine whether it was safe or not for them to land. The reality was it wasn't safe. We just wanted to figure out how unsafe it was before we stayed. The night before, witch doctors, along with the village chief and whoever they could gather, had spent the entire night with lanterns laid out on the... Uh, uh, airstrip that was not yet finished, calling out to the gods, the demons really, for our destruction, that they would prevent our coming to Tomasiga. It had been a year since any of us had last been to Tomasiga. What we didn't know was that shortly after we departed, uh, a year earlier, rains had created floods that resulted in landslides, massive landslides that uh, not only destroyed their crops, leaving this village in, near, in an ear famine situation, but tragically, seven people from this village had died in those landslides, seven people in a small, remote, isolated village way up on a mountain, and we were labeled the cause. Because it was believed that the trips that I, along with uh, our international workers, had been leading over the years to Tomasiga, you know, bringing the message of Jesus and helping with medical aid and airstrip construction, um, that that had instigated the anger of the gods who cursed the people of Tomasiga for allowing Christian missionaries into their village. Our leaders met with their leaders. Our team was praying. We expressed care and love and compassion for all that had happened to these villagers. We also radioed uh, some people from Samaritan's Purse to come and do a food drop to deal with what really was a food crisis in, in this village. I mean, no one knew what was actually going on here. And as the conversation went back and forth, it was clear that many in the village wanted us to stay. Ultimately, the village extended peace to us, apologized for the behavior, and welcomed us. And Papuans from all over, as far as 50 miles away, made their way on foot to come to the meetings and clinics that we were holding. The chief was angry. This was not what he wanted. And his wife, a Christian believer, sided with us, and he took his anger out on her. He, he took out his machete and slashed her in several places. She ran to the cabin where we were staying in, moved in with us with her young child as her wounds were tended to. So yeah, 
We had an angry chief running around with a machete while we harbored his wife and kept her safe from him. Short-term missions can be such an amazing experience. Want to go? Jesus said, it's recorded in John's Gospel, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. And yeah, we were clearly in enemy territory, the territory of the thief bent on death and destruction, and we were there to present Jesus who came that we might have life and have it to the full. We'd flown into what can be best described as a stronghold for the evil one. But a stronghold with a fledgling church that had no intention of being overcome by the forces of darkness, that had every intention of being light in the midst of darkness. Now, I don't know if you've ever experienced anything quite like this, but Thomas Sega is one of those villages where you can feel the darkness as you walk through it. It's, it's heavy, it's, it's, it's oppressive. Anyways, during the day, we worked with the people building an airstrip. Our, our medical people cared for a wide diversity of issues while praying at the same time for what they couldn't humanly deal with. And at night, we held services where I and others spoke and got translated into multiple languages, Indonesian, Moni, Dani, among others. And people lined up after the services, maybe a hundred or more, for prayer. And between our medical team praying while giving out medicine during the day and evening meetings with prayer times, we saw some people get healed. I don't have time to tell you some spectacular healing stories. I just want to make the point that the wild goose, the, the Holy Spirit, led myself and, and my team into the middle of a demonic stronghold and then responded to prayer in ways uh, me and my team had never experienced in our lives. We were in the middle of this incredible clash between the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light, and the light prevailed. The light was bright, and many came to faith and were touched deeply and profoundly by Jesus. I use this story to introduce our next message in this series called The Wild Goose. The Celtics called the Holy Spirit uh, the Wild Goose. To, to loosely quote Mark Batterson, this name hints at mystery. Much like a wild goose, the Spirit of God cannot be tracked or tamed. There's an element of danger, an air of unpredictability about the Spirit. You just don't know where the Spirit's going to lead you or what he's going to ask you to do. It's true. There's this uncertainty that comes from following the wild goose that, that can be best described by the word adventure. Hey, Fort McMurray people, they're above average in their love for adventure. And we at Fort City, we have this tagline we use that describes the Christian life, life, transformation, adventure. Following the Holy Spirit, the wild goose can be an amazing, life-giving, exhilarating adventure where you experience meaning and purpose to life, where you experience life to the full. There is no life like chasing after the wild goose. It's not always predictable and safe, but it's absolutely life-giving, invigorating, awesome. So today, we continue in our study of the wild goose in the book of Acts. And let's start by reading these words of Luke found in the 12th chapter of that book, where we see how following the wild goose is not always the safest deal. About that time, King Herod Agrippa began to persecute some believers in the church. He had the apostle James, John's brother, killed with a sword. When Herod saw how much this pleased the Jewish people, he also arrested Peter. This took place over the Passover celebration. Then he imprisoned him, placing him under the guard of four squads of four soldiers each. 
Herod intended to bring Peter out for public trial after the Passover, but while Peter was in prison, the church prayed very earnestly for him. Okay, let's start with the dark news, the scary stuff. A time of persecution is breaking out against the church. Jewish leaders are putting a lot of pressure on the political leaders to destroy this movement of Jesus followers. Choosing to follow Jesus is not a safe choice in this day and time. But first, let me just give you a little background. There are four Herods mentioned in the New Testament. They're all related. Herod the Great, who had the babies killed soon after Jesus was born. Herod Antipas is the one who ordered the head of John the Baptist on a platter. This guy, Herod, we're looking at in Acts 12 is Herod Agrippa I, and he's the grandson of Herod the Great. And there's one more Herod, Herod Agrippa's son, who is called Herod Agrippa II. This is the guy the Apostle Paul has to defend himself in front of in Jerusalem. And rather than let this Herod put him to death, Paul appeals as a Roman citizen and gets sent to Rome. But there's a pattern to be seen in all of these Herods. Do you catch it? It's kind of a bloodthirsty family line. Herod Agrippa I comes from a family of Herods uh, that are not Jewish by ancestry, but through conversion. And many of the Jews, particularly more conservative Jews, aren't sure if he's Jewish enough. I mean, if he isn't ethnically Jewish, is it real? So he's always wrestling with what to do to keep the Jewish conservatives happy and convinced that he's a true Jew. So to stay in power, he took some shrewd, well, he just was good in shrewd maneuvers. And one of those shrewd maneuvers was he arrested the Apostle James, the the brother of John. And hey, you can be assured that when this arrest happened, the church was praying for James. And by the way, this is not James, the brother of Jesus. This is not James who wrote the book of James. This is one of the 12 apostles, James, the brother of John. And Agrippa had James put to death with a sword. And what that actually means is James was decapitated. Nice, eh? People prayed, I'm sure, and James got his head decapitated. Sometimes that happens. You know, you pray and things still go terribly wrong. Despite your prayers, you lose your head. You know what I mean? And killing Herod, it turned out to be a good political move. Herod saw that this greatly pleased the Jews. I mean, his polling numbers, they just went up. He's on a roll. And so he goes on to arrest the Apostle Peter with the intention to spill his blood as well. Now, let's think about this. Doesn't murder seem to be a bit of a drastic way to increase your ratings in political opinion polls? Okay, maybe recent events might suggest otherwise, uh, depending on how you view the mess that is American politics or even Canadian political memes. I mean, some of them get pretty dark, but I'll just leave that alone. But come on. Most of us believe that murder is not a moral way to increase your political popularity, right? But this is the Herod family, as I already described to you. The demonic influence, especially the spirit of death, the the thief comes to kill and destroy. This was particularly strong in the Herod family bloodline. For this particular Herod, Herod Agrippa I, killing James and Peter, uh, who were seen by uh, many Jewish leaders as just dangerous troublemakers, this would have been a relatively small thing to him as long as it had good political results. But friends, what's going on here is much more than just ruthless politics. 
What we have here are spiritual forces of darkness strongly at work seeking to uh, keep the kingdom of God from spreading throughout the world. I mean, what a setback it would have been for this new movement of Jesus followers to lose its leaders like Peter as well as the Apostle James. And Herod, he's a smart guy. I mean, after his ratings go up by killing James, he, he arrests Peter during the days of unleavened bread or Passover because there would be lots of Jews visiting Jerusalem from all over the world, and he was going to make a public display of Peter's death in front of as many Jewish people as possible, and his ratings, they were going to skyrocket. And just in case something might go wrong, Herod took extraordinary security measures at the Jerusalem prison. He assigned four squads of soldiers to Peter. We're, we're talking, talking about soldiers, uh, four soldiers at a time uh, on six-hour shifts. And, and Peter, he was bound with two chains between two soldiers. You're getting the picture. One soldier chained to each of Peter's arms with additional guards at the prison door. We're talking maximum security. You see... Peter had been in Jerusalem jails twice previously, and on one occasion, an angel came and set him free. So the guards are chained to Peter to deal with an angel that might turn up. However, Luke wants us to know, but while Peter was in prison, the church prayed very earnestly for him. The phrase there, uh, prayed very earnestly, is translated in a variety of ways in different translations of the Bible. Some use praying constantly or praying strenuously or praying uh, uh, unremittingly. The original Greek has the idea of prayer that is of a higher intensity than normal. My guess is that after the Apostle James was beheaded and now Peter was under arrest with the same fate ahead of him, that the early churches ratcheted up their level of prayer. The blood of one of their leaders had already been spilled, so this young new church is going to put all they've got into prayer, interceding on behalf of Peter. So what do you think? If God is sovereign and in control of the whole world, could Herod have taken Peter's life if this church had neglected to pray? What do you think? Did the fervent prayers of this church save Peter's life? Friends, I think so. I think the answer is yes. That's part of why Luke is telling us that they prayed very earnestly. Okay, here's the burning question. Can we really say that there is a cause and effect relationship between our human prayers and what God does? Well, what does Jesus mean when he says, Truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. Jesus and those who have written the Bible from cover to cover, they're absolutely convinced that prayer changes things. We who believe in Jesus, you've you, you got to understand this. We who believe in Jesus get to be co-workers with God. We get to work with God to change the outcome of events. Think about that. It's, it's absolutely incredible. Blaise Pascal was a, a famous French scientist, uh, an inventor, a philosopher with deep faith in Jesus. This is way back in the 1600s. He, he makes this great statement. God has instituted prayer to impart to his creatures the dignity of causality. In other words, we make stuff happen through prayer. We do. A more recent uh, Christian writer by the name of uh, Richard Foster says, 
we are working with God to determine the future. Certain things will happen rightly if we pray rightly. In other words, so often if we don't, he won't. So often if we do, he will. Sure, it's a bit complicated. Prayer has to align with God's will that we don't always understand. Uh, But friends, God will take our free will and allow it to influence how he works in this world. This is an incredible truth. Prayer is powerful. Friends, we are free to ask and seek God's blessing on any given situation just by seeking to get to know God, aligning our our wills with his will, saying, Lord, let your will be done. I'm not saying it's simple. It is truly a bit complicated, but it's powerful. And I mean, if we don't, he won't. I'm sure the church prayed for the Apostle James upon his arrest, but still he died a brutal, bloody death. And so the church ramped up their prayer, and and I'm not saying that more intense prayer is always the answer, but fervor doesn't hurt. And in the case of Peter, where unseen principalities and powers are at work influencing Herod, uh, in response to prayer, God sends an angel to Peter's prison uh, while he's asleep, and, and the angel wakes him up in that cell, and the chains fall off of Peter's wrists, The angel then tells Peter to get his clothes on and follow him. Peter thought he was dreaming, seeing a vision as they walk right past the first set of guards and then walk past the second set of guards. Once they're down the street a little bit, the angel just disappears and Peter realizes this is no dream. He's he's been miraculously delivered from the demonically motivated, murderous hands of Herod. And it's because of a group of believers praying together. Oh, and get this. I'm not sure that this is a direct answer to prayer, but it's probably an indirect answer to prayer as they're praying for the church to be able to move uh, uh, further uh, with more power. But not long after all of this, Herod was standing in front of this uh, large gathering of people. He's wearing his royal robes, and some people in the crowd started to shout and work up the crowd, this is the voice of a god, not a man. This is the voice of a god, not a man. And Herod just received the praise, basked in it, and took praise that should have gone to God. And he is a Jewish person, man, he knew all of that. Listen to what Luke tells us next. Instantly, an angel of the Lord struck Herod with a sickness because he accepted the people's worship instead of giving the glory to God. So he was consumed with worms and died. Meanwhile, the word of God continued to spread and there were many new believers. It's a wild story. The apostle James is arrested. I'm sure the church was praying, but still his head was decapitated and The thief who comes to kill and destroy has a victory. The wild goose did not protect James from Herod. Then the apostle Peter is arrested. And the church really takes prayer seriously this time. They're not fooling around. They're intense with their prayer. And an angel comes and busts Peter out of prison. And a short time later, God sends an angel to take Herod out with a severe case of worms. And the church just grows by leaps and bounds. So too, in the village of Tomasiga. We were met by demonically inspired opposition that cost one man who owned very little, most of his belongings, and saw a a woman incredibly abused by her husband, the chief. 
But what happened in Thomasiga on that trip just blew our minds as physical healing and spiritual healing flowed throughout the village as many came to faith. I mean, the church was incredibly strengthened and emboldened by it all. It was a rough start, but it was a tearful departure. Only God, right? Only God. Hey, I don't know what you're up against these days. We're now just a a week away from one year when the uh, restrictions really started to come down hard on us. The pandemic is taking a toll on so many. If you're working from home or maybe you're a small business owner or you work in a small business or lots of other things, the stress and the tension is just overwhelming. Figuring out kids and schooling and no sports outside of school, there's, there's just a heaviness all around. And yes, some are struggling with COVID itself. Around 1,750 of us at some point here in Fort McMurray have contracted COVID. And while prayer is complicated, and while God is not some sort of cosmic vending machine, the truth is, if you don't, he won't. What James, we're now talking the other James, okay? Uh, The brother of Jesus. uh, What James wrote is still true. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And he writes this in the context of healing. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Friends, your prayer is powerful because you have been made righteous by Jesus. We need to be people who pray. We need to pray for the stuff that we're struggling with. We need to pray for others, for our family, for our coworkers, for our neighbors. Heck, we need to be daring at work and ask a coworker if we can pray for them when the Spirit of God prompts us to do that. I mean, have you ever been nudged by the Spirit to do something for someone or pray for them or say a word? Hey, I don't know what you're going through right now, but I will say this. Prayer works. It doesn't always work the way we want it to, but it works. And we get to participate with God through prayer and what God wants to do in this world. Like, how awesome is that? It's a messy world out there. Heck, it's a messy world right where you and I live, in our homes, in our schools, where we work. But I tell you, in the middle of all of this, friends, prayer works. Okay, beside me. You see the communion table here that pictures the body and and blood of Jesus, the the brutal death of Jesus on the cross, a a death that pays for the sin that separates us from the healing life, the transforming life, the the city-changing power of God. On the cross, our our wholeness was purchased, our our mental health was purchased, our our healing was purchased, This, this messed up planet of ours was redeemed. Speaking of Jesus... The Apostle Peter says this, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Friends, the reason that we can so powerfully push back on the work of the evil one in this world, even in your life, the reason we can pray and expect to see answers is because of what Jesus did at the cross. Because of the cross, There is a new world coming when all will be made right. But before that new world comes, we can pray God's kingdom come. God's will be done in my life, 
in my family, in this city, as it is in heaven. Because Jesus made it all possible because of the cross. So we're going to wrap up our time by taking bread together with drinking juice. And so if you have some juice and bread, it would be great to have it out right now. As complicated as prayer is, because we still live in a sin-wrecked world that will not be fully healed until Jesus returns, prayer works because Jesus has already paid the price. In a moment, I'm going to pray for the bread, and then we'll take it together, and then I'll pray for the juice, and we'll drink together. And as we do, would you just take time on your own to thank Jesus that because of the cross, prayer is so incredibly powerful, that because of the cross, how things are in heaven can happen on earth right now, even in your life today. Let me pray uh, for the bread. This bread represents the body of Jesus broken on the cross for us. Dear Jesus, I want to take time right now and thank you for your death on the cross, for your broken body was laid out in atonement for our sin, in payment for our sin and the sin of this world. And I thank you for the life-changing healing power that is available to us today because of your death on the cross. We say thank you for the power of the cross and we eat bread and we give thanks for your death on our behalf. And we just celebrate that you are here with us. You love us. You wanna change our lives for the better now and forever. And we give thanks as we eat bread together in Jesus' name, amen. Let us eat bread as an act of worship and remembrance together. This cup, filled with juice, represents the shed blood of Jesus. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. There is power in the shed blood of Jesus. It washes us clean. It makes it possible for us to have this intimate, deep relationship with God where we hear him speak to us about his will, where we can come to him and ask because he has cleansed us and invited us into relationship with him. Let's pray and give thanks for the juice. Dear Jesus, wow, thank you for the cross. Thank you for enduring the pain of the cross, for taking those nails in my place and shedding your blood on my behalf. Father, thank you that there's power in the blood and that you've applied that blood to my life. As I drink this juice, I do so with great gratitude and thanksgiving for all that you've done for me and that all that you will do for me in my city, in my family, in this world. We give you thanks. In Jesus' name, amen.